live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello there. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. Check out the T Public Store sale going on this week. No better time to go get some ODPH swag. None. So you definitely want to go get some stuff for the summer. And it's all on sale. So, I mean, we can't make it any easier for you. Check out Parlay Points. New comics blogs dropping today as this new comic book day as we record. The classified section, the directory, anything and everything that is the ODPH can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember to use on social media the hashtag ODPHpod. There's only one way to kick off this edition of the show. Mm-hmm. There's a certain show that came out on Disney Plus with yes. a lot of fanfare, a yes. lot of hype behind it. And we have finally gotten to the conclusion of season one. No, that was not a mistake saying I said season one for a reason because mm-hmm. I fully think we're going back into the land of Star Wars with the one and only Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hell yeah. Season one of Kenobi definitely made a lot of noise when it was first announced because obviously getting Ewan McGregor to reprise the role of Obi-Wan was big news. Even bigger news was Hayden Christensen coming back as Anakin slash Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Everything else was kind of up in the air. Yeah. But we knew the powers of B have been on a hot streak with Star Wars properties going to Disney+. Plus, mm-hmm. From The Mandalorian to The Book of Boba Fett yep. to everything that is coming after, mm-hmm. which we've already covered in previous episodes. It's a lot. Yeah, oh yeah. But this has been the one that the fans have been asking to see the most of. The teaser trailers have been great. The first episodes have been stellar, a little polarizing in some cases, yeah. but... Overall, it has been the show that we have been waiting for. Right, and, it, and it's just been the property in general that folks have wanted to see for so long that, like, for it feels like 10-plus years, it's been rumored that, you know, Star Wars and Lucasfilm are going to be working on an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, mm-hmm. which everyone was like, give it to me. You know, give me more Obi-Wan Kenobi, give me more Ewan McGregor. And for years, Ewan McGregor, at various uh, in- instances on various media, would get asked, are you going to be playing Obi-Wan Kenobi again? And he'd have to sit there, look him in the eye, and go, no, I'm not playing that again. You know, it's a fun time time in my life, blah, 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 blah. Until finally it turned around a couple years ago where it final, the deal finally got done. They finally agreed to what they were going to do. You know, the, he was on stage at some Disney Plus presentation with Kathleen Kennedy, and, and he looked at Kathleen. He goes, Kathleen, why don't you ask me again? And Kathleen Kennedy said, Ewan, are you going to be playing Obi-Wan Kenobi again? And he looked at the crowd and just went, yes. And the crowd went nuts. Oh, obviously. One of the most legendary characters in all the Star Wars mythos. Mm-hmm. Coming back with a big name actor reprising the role. Oh, yeah. So there has been a lot of expectation with this show. And, and there's obviously expectations for season two, just because both Ewan and Hayden Christensen have both said on the record 
they feel there's more story to tell with these two, obviously not counting the movies and what happened, but the in meantime, in between time, you know, and then I, and then you had Kathleen Kennedy put out a quote today when asked about it uh, via ET uh, entertainment tonight. Uh, she said, quote, we did set out to do Obi-Wan Kenobi as a limited series, but I think if there's a huge, if there's a huge engagement and people really want more Obi-Wan, we'll certainly give that consideration because the fans, they speak to us, close quote. Uh, I think there's, uh, some fan, uh, want to see that. I would say 1000% yes. And now we have finally come to the conclusion of season one. So let's just go through our spoiler free statement. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Because obviously it dropped today. We don't want to ruin anything for anybody without fair warning. So, Pad, talk to me. thought the episode was absolutely amazing. One of, if not the best stories and episodes Star Wars has had on television in recent memory. Definitely going to require a rewatch. And there were several moments in there that I thought I was going to get a knock on my door at my apartment from my neighbors because I was screaming. For, for various reasons. You know, but overall, love the episode. Thought it was incredible. They really took the time to make sure all the loose ends were tied up here. Mm-hmm. That is something I really enjoyed about this episode because where we've gone with the story has really been a fun ride. And it's reminded fans about how the rivalry between An- or Anakin mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan mm-hmm. has been so much a deep-rooted personal vendetta that when we saw it in A New Hope, mm-hmm. we never realized how deep it ran. Yeah. And obviously the prequels are the prequels, and they gave a nice foreshadowing to that. Yeah. But this is the first time I really felt like this is where the problems had came to a boil. And all that emotional turmoil between both of them yeah. really came to fruition. Yeah. I mean, because through the, through the years with the old comics and the old books and, and the various media, you know, video games and what have you. I can't remember a time set between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope where they met. Mm-hmm. There's been there's been video games and I know there's been comics and I know there's been plenty of books, you know, but I don't think there's ever been a time prior to this show where it ever dealt with the two of them meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is the first instance we really saw this and and you're absolutely right. It kind of gave some credence and some and added some weight to when they meet later going, okay, you watch these in sequential order, you you kind of start to understand, okay, we know Anakin Darth Vader hates Obi-Wan. He says as much at the end of Revenge of the Sith, screaming it. Mm. You know, and then you get to A New Hope where it's just like, all right, he kind of loathes the guy and he kind of doesn't like him, but like, what's the full story here? And you start to see it in full effect here. Yeah, it definitely jumps off the screen. That is the biggest takeaway that you have from this series, and rightfully so, because both actors really dove into their roles mm-hmm. and brought out that raw emotional battle yeah. to the fans. And this is the biggest take-home from this episode and this series. Everybody else played their positions very well here. Mm-hmm. So overall, it definitely capped off. The series properly, fans are going to be very happy with it. Oh, yeah. And obviously the buzz is now about season two. And I don't think that that's a spoiler at all. No. Because the fan reaction has caused that. And like you touched upon, both actors came out and said there's more story to be told. Yeah, there's more story to tell. And then you think back to the first episode when it dropped. I forget the exact factoid about it, but it was like the most watched premiere in Disney Plus history over the weekend it came out. Yeah, they keep smashing records about Disney Plus, so obviously the next Star Wars show will probably do that as well. Oh, yeah. Or depending on what Marvel Cinematic Universe show they want to do, 
that could give a good run for the money here. But that being said, if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. What we like to do is we like to give a countdown and give you a fair spoiler warning because we give you our spoiler-free take, and now we want to deep dive into the episode. This is what we're known for. So if you haven't seen the episode yet and you don't want to ruin, Pad has put in the liner notes of this podcast when we are talking about spoilers. Mm-hmm. So you've been fair warned. Anything from here on out is on you. But we say pause the episode here, jump back in after you catch it, because we want to definitely deep dive and talk to everybody about episode six of season one of Star Wars slash Disney Plus's Kenobi. So that being said, Pad, in three, two, one, what did you really think? This episode was fucking amazing. You know, from the battle sequences to the story, the cameos, which I, Jesus H, tap dancing Christ. I expected them on some level, but not to the level we got, and I'll get to those when we get to those. Mm -hmm. But I thought the episode was the best one of the season and one of the best episodes they've had in Star Wars media, period. I have to agree with you. I thought that this was the best of the series, bar none. But obviously the build had finally gotten the payoff it deserved. Mm-hmm. Because in my opinion, episodes one and two were good, but not great. It and was I'll, set up. And I'll, yeah, but I'll stand by my statement on that. Because they borrowed a lot from episode, or season one of The Mandalorian. Sure. In my opinion. Sure. Not saying that's a bad thing, but listen, I call it out with Marvel. I will call it out here. When you start doing the cookie cutter recipe. Mm-hmm you got to really come with something to really set it apart from everything else. Yeah. I thought this episode finally got us there because this entire story has been about how Obi-Wan has been watching Luke Skywalker on Tatooine as a young boy. Yep. Overseeing him and his sworn oath to make sure that he's protected because he's the chosen one. Meanwhile, Princess Leia Organa has been kidnapped Mm -hmm. in an attempt to really caused some chaos mm-hmm. in Obi-Wan's life and draw him out because Vader and company are definitely making their imp- impression felt yep. with the Empire. Yep. And obviously this is rising to the point where the Empire is really putting their stranglehold on the entire galaxy. Mm-hmm. Well, they're trying to. Well, they're trying to, but they're succeeding in areas here. And yeah. this is where Obi-Wan is brought into a rescue mission to save Princess Leia it takes him to a couple different worlds. We meet some characters such as the Grand Inquisitors and Reva. Mm-hmm. And now this whole roller coaster ride, if you will, yeah. has finally come to an end. Because where we jump into this episode, we do know that Kenobi is on the run. Mm-hmm. We do know that Vader is right after him. He is on his ass. Exactly, because there is a tracker in the droid that Leia has in her possession. Yep. Because as they're escaping with the path, Mm -hmm. which is an underground network assessing Jedi's and other people escaping the Empire. Yep. We do know that Vader is now focused, locked, and loaded. This is his goal. Mm -hmm. He disposed, or so he thought of Reva. Yep who was doing this deep undercover role yeah. to assassinate Vader because of what he did during Order 66, which Moses Ingram, phenomenal job during this entire series. Mm-hmm. And I thought this episode really was a strong character moment for her as well. I thought that it was kind of starting a little slow, but by the time we got to the end of it, I thought it definitely picked up steam. Yeah, Because while they're having the space chase, she has now tracked Luke down to Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And she is now looking for him. Yep. 
Why, Pat? Uh, because, again, it's, her, it's furthering her quest to get at Darth Vader. And while she knows about that Anakin is Darth Vader, she knows that he has kids and that one of them is on Tatooine. So she's going to use him as leverage to get to Vader and try and draw Vader out again. Yes. So these are the two plots going on in this series or story right now mm-hmm. during this episode. But during the series, I mean, this has been the overall play. Like, what is Rava's real intentions and how is Obi-Wan coming back to the limelight? Yeah. Which he makes an ultimate ploy during the Run from the Path network. Uh-huh. Because what he's saying is, you need to protect yourselves. You need to keep running. I am going to sacrifice myself. He's not after you. He's not after the girl. He's after me. I'm the one putting everyone in danger. If I leave... He'll leave you alone, and and several people on the ship go. Well, wait, what did? You, what about sticking together? I thought, I thought you meant that. And he's like, well, about that. Yeah, I mean, he is now coming to grips with he is the cause of the all these problems that he thought he'd be able to lay under the radar, but unfortunately, his past has come back to haunt him. And meanwhile, Yoda's chilling on Dagobah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yoda's nowhere to be found here. Yeah, so. He, he is what we call persona non grata mm-hmm. during this whole scenario. Pretty much. But one character that definitely stood out was Princess Leia, which we have to give credit to Vivian Blair. Yeah. For being a, Sassy. A, as young of an actress as she is, she definitely was bringing a lot of emotional depth to the role. Yeah. And definitely you understand now the connection later on with Obi-Wan and Princess Leia. Yeah, it's, and it's definitely a tall task for the actress, you know, simply because it's it's a monumental role. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're taking on the mantle of one of, if not the most famous female protagonists in film history. Not even Star Wars history, not even sci-fi history, film history, period. Because, you know, a lot of people know who Darth Vader is. A lot of people who know who Luke is. I would argue as many people, if not more, see Princess Leia, especially with those hair buns she's mm-hmm. got on, and they know who she is. Yes. You don't may not know anything about the story. You may not know anything about the movies. You see her, you know who she is. So taking on that role... For as loved and revered as that role is, she performed it beautifully. Absolutely. I thought she had a great performance throughout this entire series. So once they have their final goodbye, Kenobi escapes. Mm -hmm. And thus, Vader is hell-bent in high water about Kenobi. He lets the path go. Not without some protests from his Grand Inquisitor. Like when the Grand Inquisitor basically says, hey, no, we got to stick on mission and, and... get those people we were sent after for and vader basically looks at him and goes no we're going after kenobi why because i said so yeah so this is where we all see how the emotional reaction of kylo ren uh-huh. in the latter trilogy yeah. comes to fruition because vader is just as emotional well and, and i think it kind of builds on the why everyone's afraid of him because you see it in empire strikes back where you know he's choking out imperial officers left right and center in empire, mm-hmm. empire strikes back just for something as simple of Oh, uh, darn it, they flew past us and we lost them on the on our radars. We don't know where they are anymore. Dead. Like, yeah. it's just kind of further building on that. Every, literally everyone except for the Emperor is afraid of this guy. And rightfully so. I mean, this is why he is the most feared character in all the Star Wars mythos. Uh-huh. I mean, it's kind of scary to think about. Like, he, he almost reminds you in a sense of a Jean Grey type character or a Legion from yeah. the Marvel Comics yeah. universe. Yeah. Just, you have all that power, but you're just emotionally unbalanced. Yeah. To handle it. Yeah. I mean, those characters, obviously, for different reasons. Yeah. But with Vader, it's just he is that much damaged that he cannot mm-hmm. handle what's gone on. And now he is just lashing out like a young child. So he's got the power to rip starships apart without lifting a finger. Yeah. And yet he's got the emotional fragility of like a plate of grass. Yeah. Because of everything that has gone on through the trilogy films and now to here. 
So he does track him down to a planet. Mm-hmm. And this is where I thought was the strongest part of this entire episode. Agreed. Because we finally get the battle of Obi-Wan and Vader. Mm-hmm. So the big fight feel is finally here. Oh, yeah. And this goes a little different than I thought it was going to go. Sure. Because we do see a lot of cool sword fighting with the lightsabers. Great action sequences. Great action sequences. And then Vader brings the ground off from underneath Kenobi's feet, which was one of the most badass scenes I think I've ever seen. Every time I think they can't make him look more badass, they prove me wrong. Yes. So he uses the dark side of the Force to literally trap Kenobi in a pit. Literally collapses the entire floor in front of him underneath Kenobi and just buries him alive. Yeah. And this reminded me when I saw Kenobi, and I know, Pat, you probably won't understand this reference, but some older comic readers will. Sure. There's always this iconic story of when Spider-Man is trapped underneath a crushed building, and he's mm-hmm. got to fight his way out, and he, and he finds the will, the will to do this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a classic Spider-Man story. Yeah. I literally saw the same thing going on here with Kenobi, mm-hmm. because he had to find the will to get up. Right. And, you know, when he starts oh, thinking yeah. back and, you yeah. know... Because at this point, Vader thinks he's left him for dead. Right. But then this is when Kenobi starts going through his mind and really understands, Mm -hmm. like, I need to fight back. I need to dig back in to find the old me. Uh Uh-huh. And sure enough, how does he do this, Pad? Uh, He literally pushes everything up off of him and jumps out and sneaks up behind Vader. And Vader just kind of stops and goes, oh, okay. Yes. The game is on. So when he starts pelting him, too, with boulders. Holy shit, that was incredible. Yeah, we have to remember that. That's when Kenobi came out of there and started using the force to shoot boulders at him. He lifted, like, every broken boulder that was on the ground up into the air and started throwing them at him like he's Nolan Ryan in his prime. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. The only thing missing was him going John Wick style, I'm back. (laughs) I was waiting on him to do something kind of like that. But then they start going, and then they get into the very bad sword fight going as well, too. Yeah. And then this is where I thought things got really interesting. Mm -hmm. Because during this sword fight, Vader gets hit in the face with the lightsaber. Yep. And I'm sitting there after he had his breathing device damaged, too. He's always on his chest. So that's your clear sign that he's in trouble. Yeah. This is where he gets hit in the face. And you see Anakin's... Dead mm-hmm. stare mm-hmm. right back at Kenobi. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing Anakin just basically no-selling anything that Obi-Wan's saying. Because Obi-Wan's like pleading, like, we can save you. Like, he's trying to make that final ditch attempt to it's, redeem him. It's the second time they've used that. The first one being in season two or season three. I forget which one it was of Rebels. Mm. Where you finally had, everyone was kind of anticipating the fu- the meeting between Ahsoka and, and Vader. Mm-hmm. And they finally met and they fought each other. And Ahsoka ran up on him, you know, when he was distracted. He turned around, caught a lightsaber to the face, much in the same way, revealed part of his face in the same way. And you just heard in the Rebels instance, it was Matt Lanter who voices Anakin in the animated stuff. You heard a mixture of James Earl Jones, Matt Lanter say Ahsoka. And it was kind of like the same effect. And both times it was equally effective where you just go, oh, shit. Yeah, no, this was powerful. Yeah. Because you sit there and you just see Hayden Christensen, which I say, give him his credit for this scene. Uh Uh-huh. Like he just went. Just stare at him dead face, and like you see, Obi Wan is just trying to sit there, and, and he, he's trying to apologize to him, you know, for everything he did, he did, and, and leaving him for dead, and in Vader, because we got to make a point, it's not Anakin, it's Vader. Vader looks at Obi Wan and goes, "You didn't kill Anakin, 
I did. Yeah, it was like I was when he said, it, "I'm like, God dang!" Uh-huh. Like that was just the mic drop moment. And you just see just how you know laser focused he was on him, and Kenobi literally comes to terms that Anakin is there's no, gone. There's no saving him. There's no saving him, and he, he leaves him. I mean, that was the only gripe I kind of had with this episode. Sure. You know what he's capable of. Mm-hmm. You know there's no redeeming. This is Star Wars. Yeah. I was surprised he didn't go for the fatal blow. Like, I understand. Granted, yeah. you know, there's reasons. Obviously, we know later down the road. Yeah, yeah. But still, at this point, I'm like, how does he let him go and just walks and just does the mic drop again? Because I think it's just the Jedi way. The Jedi don't like to kill unless they absolutely have to. Oh, and, and, and that's fair. Like, I understand that. But I'm sitting there going like, because earlier in this series, he was lamenting. Mm-hmm. The entire time, like how he left him alive, mm-hmm. you know, on the lava pit there in from Revenge of the Sith. It's like now you had your chance to really redeem yourself and you let him go. Yeah. Not encouraging the violence, but I'm just saying. Yeah. But still, that's what kind of ties off their arc. But now we fast forward to Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And Reva is now on the Skywalker property, yep. if you will. Yep. Where Owen and Barrow. And Barrow, yeah. Have to defend their home. With a young Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. from a former Grand Inquisitor. Yeah, and th- and they tell Luke, hey, listen, you know, Tusken Raiders are on the prowl again. You need to go hide, you know, but if things get bad, we need you to run. You know, and, and Owen even makes the plea with Bar- uh, Baru, like, mm-hmm. hey, listen, you need to take him and run. And she's like, and go, she, she's the voice of reason in this instance. And she's like, and go where? It's all desert. I, I'm not going to make it anywhere. I'm going to stay here and fight you and defend our home. And considering it's it's two non-force users with a couple of blasters and a former Grand Inquisitor with a helicopter lightsaber, they do a pretty damn good job. Yeah, Joel Edgerton and Bonnie Please, who play uh, Owen and Baru, yeah. did a great job here, too. And they're definitely holding off Reva, who's on that revenge mission. Mm-hmm. And now she's chasing Luke, who's now escaped into the desert. Yep. And she almost gets the upper hand on him. Mm-hmm. Almost, because Kenobi is still trying to get there at time. Right, because he's having this weird, like, force vision of, like, he. I think he's catching glimpses of what's going on, and he's like, oh, shit, I need to go. Well, now he's got his powers fully back. Right. So that's the thing, like, he and he is so connected with Luke yeah. for reasons. Like, he is seeing this happen, and he knows he, he's got to make it there in time. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't make it in time. Like, that's the big thing about this. Right. But Reva starts reliving her past mm-hmm. and that's the one key area of her character which I, th- I think is so interesting because she is just as broken as vader yeah and kenobi at the same time because you see while she's standing there over top of luke deciding what to do you see shots of her that's intersplicing vader with it so vader's taking her place and then on the ground you have luke being replaced by her as a padawan Mm-hmm. So she's sitting there with that kind of like mental gymnastics. What do I do? Do I become the thing I hate and I've sworn to destroy? Or do I go the other way and become something better? Yeah, Moses Ingram crushed it in this scene. Like this was the one you go like, all right. And the cinematography for this entire episode was on point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Production-wise, the whole crew brought it with this episode from Deborah Child down. Like everybody really made this into one of those and I always kind of use this statement, but this is where it really kind of is the definition, that big fight feel, mm-hmm. that big moment that you're all sitting there watching at home if you're a fan of this franchise yeah. going, I get it. Yeah, like, yeah. This is it. Because as you see, Rava is so conflicted, she can't do it. She can't no. kill Luke. And then brings him back yeah. 
to the farm where Kenobi is waiting there and is basically trying to say like you've done the right thing and she's yeah. like what do i do now well, yeah because she's she's lamenting she because she does she's kind of got mixed emotions you know swirling through her and she even asks him am i as bad as he is did i did i do something wrong and obi-wan kind of consoles her and goes no you're better than he is yeah so now her story closes because they kind of just fade away from here obviously we're going to see her come back at some point some point i i don't know how i don't know when but we're not going to see the end of her at no. the series no so and I even, don't, even if she were dead, listen, ain't nobody in Star Wars dead. If I watched Darth Maul get cut in half and he still came back, yeah, exactly. So her story will be played out at some point. I don't know if it's going to be a new series with her being a lead actress in this. Maybe. It, I mean, I wouldn't be upset about it, but I don't see that happening here. I could see her maybe making an appearance somewhere in like when they do the live action Rebels. Yeah. Or Ahsoka. I could see. Yeah. I could see. So there is another Jedi Fallen Order game. She could show up in that. Or not Ahsoka, rather, but uh, yeah, in another series like such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, and I think I think a distinct possibility could, like I said, could be the Jedi Fallen Order 2 game. Yes. So, same time period. Yeah, so I mean, it could happen. I'm just trying to think like what shows are in production now that she right. can make an appearance. Right. From. Ahsoka is the one I think everybody's just kind of getting lumped together as characters. Yeah. But yeah, obviously that wouldn't work timeline wise. But yeah. it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Because as we see, everybody is now getting their final moments in the show. Mm-hmm. So on Mustafar, Vader is now sitting there talking with the Emperor. Didn't fucking see that coming. No, I Holy didn't see that. Holy shit, I sat up. Break down that scene for us, Pat. Yeah, so Vader's back on Mustafar, you know, at his palace, chatting with the Emperor. And the and, the, and he's telling the Emperor, like, hey, listen, I'm going to go find him. I'm going to kill him this time. For I mean it. For sure this time. And the Emperor basically goes... I can't help but wonder if your feelings are right on this. That basically, if you're not clouded by your past. And he basically insinuates, if you can't get over your past, you're of no use to me. Yeah. And and he has to look at him and go, the past means nothing to me. Obi-Wan means nothing to me. And that's the last you see. Yeah, it's an interesting setup. But I think this just gives more foreshadowing that as much as he's trying to say I'm over it, he's not. No. But this is where he has to really refocus himself, and this is where the next time we see him on screen, we'll get a different understanding of where he is. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. is I don't think he ever gets over it. I think on the surface he tells people he's over it, but you think back to the original movie when the Falcon gets captured on the Death Star and Vader goes down to kind of inspect what's going on, and he says, you know, I, I sense a presence, a presence I've not felt since, and then he leaves it off there. Yeah. And for, like, the next half hour of the movie or whatever it is, he is mercilessly chasing him down all over the Death Star Mm -hmm. with, like, I don't know how many troops are on that station, how many security cameras are on that station, which he could just easily say, hey, look for a guy in brown robes and, and... brown robes and a tan tunic yeah you know look for this guy he's got enough people at his beck and call that he could have anybody tell him where he is and go right to him but no he goes all over hell's half acre looking for himself and this is 10 years after these events yeah so it'll be interesting to see like what you touched upon too like they've given enough that they pay homage to a new hope yeah so that's what we wanted from this and now it gives a little more gravity to when you rewatch a new hope Mm -hmm. so Fun things are happening with him. Yep. Well, they also do tie up Leia's story because now she's back on Alderaan. Carrying a, a holster. Yep, a little homage. <laughs> and she does get a final goodbye with Kenobi. Yep. Because Kenobi is basically saying, listen, if you need me, I'll be back. Yeah. But Leia's... Don't, don't expect me anytime soon. Yeah, but I'm just going to have to get caught up on lost times. And to their credit, they are definitely willing to oblige by this. Jimmy Smith's reprising his role 
as Senator Organa. Yep. And is having that moment, too, that he's just, like, expressing his gratitude for what has happened here as well. Yeah. The other thing we do get is we get that wonderful heart-to-heart moment where earlier in the season, Obi-Wan kind of ducked if he actually knew Padme's real parents. And he kind of, he doesn't go full in on it, but he kind of gives her a little tidbits like, okay, yeah, I was lying. I did know your real mother. And he kind of gives, you know, some general details and information about her without getting too specific, which was a nice moment. Yeah, absolutely. So there are some cool things to build on for those characters as well. And then the final stop that we see is he returns to Tatooine Mm -hmm. and catches up with Owen and and basically says, listen, I'm going to let you raise him you're right he needs to be a boy yeah you know the future will take care of itself when it comes time yep and owen says thank you by allowing him to say why don't you go say hi to him would you like to say hi so he goes up there and he gives him what famous line ken hello Hello there there. oh loved it yeah i love that that was perfect absolutely perfect but then he goes riding off into the proverbial sunset but he doesn't go alone nope because who decides to make his appearance finally? Liam fucking Neeson. Yes. Qui-Gon Jinn. My God, I screamed out loud at this moment. And I know I'm not the only one. There's a number of fans, especially prequel fans, that they, they got a little misty-eyed seeing Qui-Gon Jinn again. Which, can we just talk about something for a minute? Sure. Qui-Gon Jinn really got the short end of the stick here. He got stabbed in the gut. Episode 1, Phantom Menace. How many people over the years have we seen stabbed that have survived? Oh, quite a few. Uh-huh. He's getting the short end of the stick. He's got to be sitting there going, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a prequel of Qui-Gon uh, at some point. Just I to, would, too. Just to really kind of explain that. Liam Neeson has said on record he is down to play the character again, and hello, evidence right here. And you know what? I think that when we see him in season two, I think he'll be a part of it. I, I think so. I really do. Because, I do, too. Because now he's back as the Force Ghost. And I didn't like how he opened the line though. He's like, "Well, I'm finally back." Like he's, about, to, about time you showed up. Yeah, it was like it was like, "Oh man, that's kind of cheesy." Yeah, but I get it. I wasn't mad about it. I was like, "Okay, this is interesting." And you see them just kind of ride off into the sunset. Yeah, he says, "You know," he says, oh, I, "I've been here the whole time. You just weren't ready to see me." And he basically says, "Come on, there's a lot more I have to teach you." Yeah, fun episode. Perfect way to cap off this series. So where we go from here, Pad? Season two. I, it has to be. I mean, there's enough threads left open that there's. There, I think there can be a second season. You know, you could do one that's more Luke-focused, you know, there, and there's certainly enough material you can pull from to borrow story elements for. But I, I definitely think if, if, you know, with Hayden and uh, Ewan McGregor both being on record saying they would like to do a second season if the opportunity arises, mm. and the fan interest, I think, is clearly there. You know, it's been trending number one in the U.S. for pretty much the entire day, you know, which is astounding because it'll trend early it'll trend number one in the u.s on twitter for like the early morning and into like maybe the early part of the afternoon but then it'll kind of fade away i was looking at like two three o'clock it was still trending number one in the united states this will be trending all night oh yeah there's no there's no question about it because for how good this show is and how well it was received it's going to generate that pop culture buzz Mm -hmm. and considering everything that is going on today specifically Mm -hmm. with geek pop, nerd, culture, however you want to define it. You have the finale of Star Wars, Obi-Wan. You have Miss Marvel, Episode 3, which we'll be talking about next segment. The Umbrella Academy is debuting today on Mm -hmm. Netflix. Oh, yeah. Right there alone, and then let alone the boys' herogasm, is coming Friday. 
This is going to be the story that everybody's talking about throughout the weekend. And it's not to say those other three are not great programs to check out. Yeah. I'll tell you firsthand. But what I'm going to say is this is why this franchise is what it is. I'm looking at the Twitter trends right now in the United States, and I'm showing Ken. Uh, once you get past the uh, like the sports and the news trends, the first trending uh, entertainment thing, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, yeah, absolutely. O- Obi-Wan Kenobi. Then you have uh, something else trending below it, and then right up the, underneath, so two below uh, Obi-Wan is Umbrella Academy Season 3. Yeah. So even still, we're we're... 13 plus hours or whatever it is since the episode dropped and it is still the number one trending entertainment thing on Twitter. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. But this is what how good this episode was. This is how good the series was. This lived up to all the hype that we were expecting. You know, finally, this episode really puts that cherry on the Sunday. Yeah, like that's the one thing about it. They nailed the parts they needed to. They reminded you about how much magic is really in this franchise when it's done well mm-hmm. and it has those moments. And even if you just jumped on for whatever reason at episode one of this series, you finally got that payout. Yeah. If you're a longtime star Wars fan, this hit all expectations. Oh, I, I, I exceeded expectations. I think if you say it didn't check your pulse, there has to be a really good explanation. And I'm not saying that some people haven't, I have not ran into anybody yet that has said it's been bad. But this is where this show really hit its cylinders. This show really gave that great vibe to it. Mm -hmm. The reaction has been overwhelmingly positive. Oh, God, yeah. So now, I mean, that is the only place Disney Plus and Star Wars and Lucasfilms can go from here. You have to do a season two at some point. I know there's a lot more projects that are coming out. Mm -hmm. But at some point, we have to go back here in some way, shape, or form. Even if it's not a whole six episodes. Even if they did four. Sure. They got to go back here. Oh, absolutely. There's no way they can leave it alone. I will say the only thing I'm not looking forward to is I have a playlist on my Apple Music of like all the Star Wars soundtracks, mm-hmm. you know, just for listening purposes. And I have them in chronological order for like the timeline. It's currently 571 songs, uh, tracks. I am not looking forward to having to redo that and include the Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff partway through. Yeah. That's the one thing I hate with like doing that. Cause I, I like listen to it. I like putting it on shuffle every now and again, listening to, you know, some of the soundtracks. It's the one thing I hate is when they, I love it when they put something out at the end of the timeline. Cause then it's real easy to add on. Yeah. But when it's in the middle, Hey, yeah, it's a tough part, but you know, it's well worth it when you get a program like this, that really delivers on yes. all cylinders and you get more star Wars music from John Williams. Cause he did the theme. Yeah. It's a win-win for everybody. So that being said, ODPH Society, hit us up. Let us know what did you think of the season one finale of Kenobi. Now, we're going to keep it spoiler free on social media till Friday, the 24th. And, t- and then after that, we can talk spoilers all day because by that time, everybody's going to have a real fair chance to go watch it. If you haven't seen it by then, trust me, everybody else on the internet's going to ruin it for you. But there's a lot to love about this show. So let's have that conversation. Let's keep it positive. Let us talk about Kenobi, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC universe? Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt ice stuff at the gas station? Well, then look no further. We present to you Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market. All right, all right. We drink and we pretend we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics, and we most definitely can drink. 
We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about. With lots of fun facts about beer. And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And it's time to recap the latest in Marvel Studios slash Disney Plus's latest hit series, Miss Marvel. So, yeah. Well played, Pat. Well played. The show has definitely gone on to a big start. I know that one thing that has been kind of causing some buzz first before we start talking about the episode Mm -hmm. is I guess there was a question about the ratings for it or how many viewers have tuned in yet for it. Mm -hmm. And I guess there's some people that are trying to say it's a flop. By no means is this a flop. Disney, Disney, much like Netflix, HBO Max, Hulu, pick your favorite streaming platform of choice doesn't typically put out numbers unless they do exceedingly well, which isn't a reflection of if they're doing bad or not. You know, they'll tout their victories in their record setters, but like if they, it's not like, you know, the Nielsen ratings where you see what, you know, the latest episode of Undercover Boss did mm. like up against, you know, Master Chef. you know, oh, Master Chef only got 637,000 views and uh, like streaming the the powers that be on the streaming platforms can see those numbers and then that's you'll see it from time to time but it's only ever usually like a oh hey you know oh when mortal Kombat dropped on hbo max it was the most watched movie and blah 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 you know it's that kind of stuff yeah which i'm just going to tell anybody that was kind of worried about the ratings and the reaction because i've been seeing a lot more online buzz about this of like concern the ratings are doing fine the one thing everybody has to remember with this show is when the original trailers came out, and I think this is probably a very honest statement we're going to say, mm-hmm. everybody thought this was a kid's show. Yeah. And until you start watching it, it's an all-ages show. Well, And I've seen a number of people, especially on Reddit, say as much that they were going to watch it, but they didn't think it was geared towards them, so they weren't kind of like all amped up to watch it. They were going to wait until all the episodes were out and then binge watch it. Mm-hmm. But then they were bored or what have you, whatever the reason be. And they watch the first episode, and they're like, all right, no, I can't wait. I'm hooked. Yeah, that's the one thing about it that I think that now it's going to have some time to shine starting next week. And what I mean by this is Kenobi is is done. Mm -hmm. So there's not a new Star Wars show to compete with on Disney+. Plus Because you have to factor, this is the same kind of fans you're competing with, Marvel and Star Wars. Oh, yeah. There's only so much time in a day you can watch something. Which, listen, that's why people watch on multiple times. You also have the Umbrella Academy coming back, like Mm -hmm. we mentioned, on Netflix. Boys is on. The Boys is on. There's a lot of stuff that is going on right now. People are still going through Stranger Things. Yeah. That fans are catching up on this. But the one thing that is the biggest takeaway, which I love seeing, by the way, is you're seeing a lot of the fans come out and say, listen, if you haven't checked this show out, give it a chance and really sink your teeth into it. Because it's not for kids. It's in all ages. It's, mm-hmm. It definitely has a different vibe than what we've seen recently with the MCU. Yeah. It has a unique feel all its own. And it is a very, very well done show. And I, I would also say I think it's also the first show, other than What If, 
Mm-hmm. And even I don't think you can put What If in this category. But it's the first show they put out on Disney Plus without with a uh, as of yet unestablished character. Because WandaVision, two established characters. Loki, established character. Uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, established character. Mm. You know, and, and you you just look at the stuff that's come out. We already know what they're about and who they are, and they're kind of their backstory to a certain degree. But with that said, we don't have to spend so much time. Hawkeye, partially already set up, obviously, with the whole Kate thing. You needed to introduce her and explain her a little bit. But it wasn't a full-blown like all new cast, all new characters that you don't have any clue with. Absolutely, it was it was, it was half involving Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye, which we know for mm. however many movies he's been in. The thing with Ms. Marvel, total new cast of characters, total new group of people that we've never met before. So it, it's you got to give it a little time because it starts off a little slow because it's essentially an origin story. It, it's the beginning of her journey. You know, it's got to establish who she is and what she's about and what her life is like before it jumps into the action. Absolutely. This is one thing that we all have to jump into as fans that if you're not familiar with who she is. Hi, that's me. She's one of the most popular characters in the Marvel Comics universe Mm -hmm. ever since she debuted. I mean, she is Marvel's first Muslim character that is leading her own series. Yeah. And she has definitely won over fans. The books have definitely been picking up a lot of readership lately, too. Oh, yeah. And she's been on a very high profile streak as a character throughout the comics universe, and even to the video game as of late. Right, and I think if I saw correctly the other day, within the next week or two, they're going to be putting out a skin for the Ms. Marvel character in the Avengers video game for uh, PlayStation and Xbox. Yes. So her star is rising as the character, and I think that now the people are kind of seeing what she's all about. She's winning people over, Mm -hmm. and that's the one thing that with this show you're seeing a lot more fans start tuning in. So yeah. for anybody that was really worried about like, oh, it's the lowest rated series to debut from the Marvel Stop Universe. Stop reaching. Exactly. I understand that not every show can sit there and put out end game numbers. No. We have to realize this. But for what the MCU does on Disney Plus, we have to really emphasize this. You're getting a lot of characters that if you're a comic book reader, you know. But let's face it. There's a lot more pop culture fans mm-hmm. that are tuning in because they hear it's a Marvel show and finding out on yeah. their own. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with Kamala Khan is and what she brings to the table, this has been a real treat for you to really kind of understand what the hype is about. Mm-hmm. Because the show is very, very good. It's a different feel, a different vibe. Yeah. It's very lighthearted. It's family friendly. It's all ages. It's, it's honestly a nice breath of fresh air. Seeing as with WandaVision, you know, we kind of dealt with world-breaking events. You know, Loki, time travel-breaking events, you know, universe-breaking events, whatever you want to call it. You know, Falcon Winter Soldier, kind of a more grounded show, Mm -hmm. you know, and and then you get into uh, Hawkeye, also a little grounded. But, like, then you think of the movies that have come out recently with with Spider-Man No Way Home. You know, uh, multiverse breaking events. Same thing with with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness now on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a nice break from kind of the all breaking of ins- insanity we've been dealing with for like the last year. It's it's a nice breath of fresh air. Oh, absolutely! And this is something that fans are tuning in for. This is the word of mouth that's getting spreaded. Yeah. So for anybody that, like I say, just to kind of wrap that part of this segment up, if you're worried about the ratings, get out on social media. And really start talking to other fans if they're not into the show. And really give them a reason to get into because 
That's how word of mouth really helps shows like this if you're concerned about it. I'm not concerned about it because, trust me, after this series, we're probably going to get Season 2 announced. Oh, yeah. And I would not doubt that we see Kamala Khan in the next big team-up movie, whatever that's going to be for the MCU. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll hear more about it coming out of San Diego Comic-Con later. I'd be surprised if there's something in the next um, Captain Marvel movie. Oh, absolutely. Just so saying. She's a very high-profile character to get watching now if you haven't already. And that being said... Episode 3, entitled Dustin, just came out on Disney+. Plus. So, Pad, let's talk a spoiler-free statement, and then let's go deep diving. Thought the episode was all right. You know, a little too much exposition for my liking, you know, but it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. There was enough action to kind of keep me, you know, keep me interested. But just at some points, I kind of sat there and go, all right, why are we here? You know, what, what's the purpose of this? But overall, I liked the episode. I very much enjoyed the episode. I thought it was very cool to see about how her story is changing from the comics because there is a very big difference going on right now and to kind of see how the story is going plus it also shows her normal everyday life and it represents her culture as well too as we see in different uh aspects throughout this episode too yeah i thought that they've done a very good job about really bringing that to life and making that a great part of the show yeah and i thought for where they're going with this episode i'm very interested to see the cliffhanger ending, mm-hmm. well, we'll go discuss that. Oh, yeah. But I'm really, really starting to see an idea of where I think we're going with the show, and I can't wait to get there. So that being said, it's countdown time. So in three, two, one, pad, talk to me. thought it was a good episode overall. You know, a little too much exhibition for my likes, you know, but it wasn't necessarily the worst thing, like I said. You know, the action sequences were good, and I'm interested to see where things go because, like you said, that cliffhanger, yo. It's very interesting to see how they're doing this because with the character Kamala Khan, in the comics, she's an Inhuman. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you know the history of the Inhumans in the cinematic universe... They ain't going near that one. They're really dodging that right now. Now, not to say we won't see them appear in some variation down the road... (laughs) But I think for trying to get fans into a new character, and this is, I'm saying, pop culture fans, Mm -hmm. not comic book fans. There is a difference. I think that this has been something they really want to try tying into different elements of the MCU because we do start to get a little background about how she got her powers. Mm -hmm. And Iman Vellani has been playing Kamala Khan exceptionally well throughout this entire series. And as we saw from last week's episode, she has been trying to be a hero yep. because, obviously, her idol is Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Yep. Captain Marvel. And she goes out on a limb to save a boy that was trying to take a selfie and nearly fell off a building. Yeah, from, like, three, four stories up. Yes, and in doing such, she's now exposed herself again with her powers uh-huh. because she does have a mock-up Captain Marvel costume. Yep. And now she's drawn the attention of the Department of Damage Control. That is weird for me to say because in the comics it's always been damage control. Well, I'll probably get shortened to that later. Yeah, it's it's DODC, but still, I'm just... Ah, I, I gotta get over that. That's, that's something for me to work on. But as we see, she is rescued from last week's episode by a, a new boy that's in her class, Cameron. Mm-hmm, that everyone is infatuated with. Yes. And we do see that as he makes the save... He introduces Kamala to his mother, Najam. And this is now where we pick up this episode. And Najam is explaining about her background 
to Kamala mm-hmm. and seeing how her camera and this other part uh, partners that they are around are part of a group called Dijins. Uh, yeah. And also known as clandestines. Yep. And you do see a little background of them from the 1940s, and they're in British-controlled India. Mm-hmm. And they are scavenging through this temple. Or the remains of one, yeah. Or the remains, and they're looking for something. Mm-hmm. And we do see that there is a bracelet or bangle yep. on a hand. Uh, now, it looks like it's made of stone. Right. So, Pad, do you have any impressions about who this might be? Nope. I just know that didn't they mention something about already having one? Yes. During, I think they mentioned something about already having one, so they, this was the second one they were looking for. But as to any, like, inclinations or ideas about the bangle or the hand, absolutely not. See, I kind of went on a little bit of a theory, and you know, I think i got to give credit to JVD. And if, if it's not JVD, hit me up online, and I'll definitely give you the credit on next week's episode. I think when I saw this hand, I thought it looked blue to me. Mm-hmm. And I instantly started thinking it was a Cree. Mm. And if that's the case, I'm wondering if they're going to just do something kind of interesting in the comics yeah. and have it tied into a Captain Marvel. Mm, yeah. Not not Captain Marvel that we know Carol Danvers, but, right, right. but with obviously the history of the quantum bands, maybe this is how we introduce them. It could be maybe they're going to try flipping Quasar. I'm just throwing something out there, sure, just sure. something I picked up on. Obviously, if it's blue-skinned, I don't think it's going to be them, but never to say it's not possible. Secret Wars are coming. They're definitely coming, and it's not out of the realm of thought that they could do something, obviously, with the timelines and such that you go from there. Yeah. Because, obviously, everything is kind of opened up, and you can yeah. kind of you know really figure out, okay, what are we doing here, and, and does this all make sense? So... It could tie into that. I don't know if they really want to kind of go back to the Captain Marvel movie, even though I do think they could. They could, or they could at least work in a scene. Yeah, or it could have some kind of connection to Jude Law's character, too. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways it can go, but that is just something that I know got brought up online, and I'm like, I'm thinking the exact same thing, and I want to say it was JVD. Shout out to him and Crossover Collision. If it wasn't, hit me up, and I will definitely give you credit next week on that. But we do get the backstory about that, and the whole story that Najam is explaining is we're all trying to get home. Yeah. Because we're from a different dimension. We're homesick. Yes. And we need your help to get there. And Kamala, being a young teenager, is really trying to figure this all out. The and young, impressionable youth as she is. Yes, because she doesn't know. And, and obviously, she's trying to do good and be a hero, which is very noble for her. And this is something that she takes after her own mm-hmm. idol. Yeah. But in dealing with how the cell is going by Najama, who's played by Nirma Buka. Mm-hmm. And just she's doing an amazing job with this too because she was definitely working that it felt like a con, yeah, to Kamala. But she was definitely yeah. selling that all all points home. And obviously, that Kamala is sitting there trying to think of okay, well, what do you need? Well, if you need the bracelet, I don't know if we can exactly do this, you know. And she's got to go back. And then obviously, she talks to her best best friend Bruno, mm, not Brian, Bruno. Yes, Bruno. Uh, played by Matt Lintz, who is sitting there trying to decipher what's going on here. Yeah, he's got enough going on in his life. This is not a helping to add to it. You're right, because he's now told Kamala that he's been uh, accepted to Caltech. Caltech. Yeah. And could be leaving. So their friendship is now in danger. California, for those of you who don't live in the United States, decent ways away from uh, New Jersey. Yes. Like opposite side of the country. Yeah. 
So he is sitting there trying to say, listen, I understand what you're trying to say and you want to help the, this group out and you, you, know, you might have a connection to the Daijins, mm-hmm. but this is a situation that I don't necessarily know if this is safe and we're going to have to kind of figure this out on our own. And she says, well, you know, we can try helping, but I will wait to work with them about this. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, it's, and she goes talks to Cameron about it. And Cameron is very open to this idea, yeah. too. But his mom is not. No. And his mom is like, no, we have one shot. We've been waiting enough time for this. And like you said, they've got one shot, one opportunity. Yes. It's, you can capture it or you can let it slip. That's what we don't know. Mm-hmm. But as we see, they're going to definitely have to go and figure something out. But meanwhile, we get fast-forwarded to Kamala's brother's wedding. Yep. So Amir and Taisha yep. are now getting married, and you're seeing a, you know, a very festive wedding going on yeah. as well, too. And everything is, seems to be kind of normal, and you see Kamala's talking with her best friends, and they're trying to kind of, you know— just have a good time and just celebrate the moment. And you, and you see, like, some very heart-to-heart moments with the family, too. Oh, yeah. And it's a great sequence, too, and, and I really enjoyed this one as well. But then you see Cameron crashes the wedding. Yeah. And he is sitting there trying to warn Kamala that, guess G- what? Uh, my mom's coming after you. She's tired of waiting. You need to GTFO. Yes. And this is where things really pick up because now she has to go evacuate the wedding, hitting the fire alarm. Yep. Because that's going to work. Well, it's the tried and true, tried and tested method uh, of getting people out of a building real quick. Yeah. So that is something that, you know, she's thinking very quick on her feet to do. Yep. And it's also a very interesting play because obviously she's got to protect her own identity and protect everybody else that's in the building. Yep. And you do see that she's running through there. And then obviously one running joke that has been going on, and I admit when I started hearing this, I started dying is you hear Bon Jovi living on a prayer kicking. Love it. I love the soundtrack of this show, love too, by it. the way. And, of course, the band that was playing the wedding reception was Brown Jovi. Yes. Which I, which I picked up on the pond. But, no, living on a prayer started kicking up. And, listen, I love me some Bon Jovi. I got excited. I got excited, too. Oh, like, so good. Like Because you know the parents have had all this infatuation with Bon Jovi as well, being from oh, Jersey. Yeah. If you're not in the United States, you might not get that connection very easily. But, yeah, it's, Bon Jovi is basically is one of the biggest names out of New Jersey, let alone all of rock all over the world. But this is where they kind of go in and they're trying to evacuate everybody. But the clandestine group comes in and they are definitely overpowered. Mm-hmm. Even though we do see Cameron is trying to fight back. Now, he yep. had something very interesting that he was using, Pat. Uh, yeah, were some knives with like some uh, metal ropes or whatever they were attached on the ends of them. Yeah, so this kind of alludes that he might be the character Red Dagger from mm. the comics. So it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. I definitely think that this is the case with him uh, as he's kind of caught between two worlds, and you're seeing that uh, Red Dagger might be appearing in this show a little bit more often uh, as there is, I believe, some more comics coming out with him featured in it as well. So that being said, you're seeing that the group is sitting there trying to buy some time, but... When Kamala's uh, bracelet is getting taken by Najama, you see that a vision happens. Mm-hmm. And this throws everybody off. And the vision is of what, Pat? Uh, it's of a train coming at him full speed. Yes. So what the symbolism of that is yet, we don't know. But while this is going on, well, they finally get caught up by yeah. damage control. Yeah, somebody, somebody hit the old button. 
Yes. Somebody called them. Yes, because, well, let's face it, they've been having drones follow Kamala all over the place, so it was only a matter of time. Yeah. So now they come in, and they grab everybody Uh except Kamala and Bruno, who is here. Yep. So while this happens, though, Nakia Uh catches wind of what Kamala is possessing. Yeah, because they make it out the back onto what looks like a loading dock or something, and then in an effort to prevent themselves from being followed uh kamala fires one of her energy blasts or whatever it is at the door sealing the door and her friend uh, is right there and goes wait what the hell was that yes and this is now becoming a question because kamala has been hiding her powers from everybody and even as the damage control has been coming around the mosque looking for mm-hmm. her and coming around everybody of her family she's been dodging and yeah just completely no selling about that she's a superhero she's been uh, following patches of hula hands five rules of dodgeball yes and you see the nakia who came to her when she's trying to get elected to the mosque board yep uh you know was in there and was almost ready to be told about what happened <laughs> kamala decided not to and yeah, no, i'll tell you later bye yeah so it's kind of an interesting play here and then she does the same thing with her mom but now nakia knows about this where is this going to go from here and then the episode ends in kind of a very interesting way and this is Kamala gets contacted by Sana, mm-hmm. who says she also saw the vision of the train. Mm-hmm. So, Pad, I mean, what was your interpretation of this? Uh, clearly, Sana, a.k.a. Grandma, has more to do with this than she's letting on or even the parents are telling her, if the parents even understand what's, what's going on with her connection. Uh, and she needs to go to Grandma and figure out what the hell's going on here. Yes. Because, after all, they are Grandma's bangles that they uh, she sent over from Pakistan. Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting play about how this is all going to end up because now Kamala is getting forced to come to Karachi and visit her grandma to get all the information she needs about her bracelet. So I'm feeling going into Episode 4, we're going to get the true origin of the bracelets. Mm-hmm. Whatever that's going to be. And that's how the episode ends. Yeah. So, Pat, I mean, final thoughts on the episode. I thought it was a good episode. You know, some of the, I liked a lo- most of the exposition, is exposition. There was just some parts, you know, especially like there was the whole dance sequence where I'm like, okay, this feels like it's going on a little too long, but I get it. You know, overall, though, I love the episode. Yeah, this episode, I thought, really hit some strides. I think that we're starting to get a little more background of the character. I love seeing the wedding sequence. Like I said, I thought they were really making sure that Kamala and her family and their culture really came to the forefront, and I really love seeing all that. And I think that for where we're going with this episode, that now that the bad guys have been established in the clandestine, this is where we're going to see how this is going to differ from the comics a little bit and how this is going to get spun into where her character is eventually going to become Miss Marvel. But definitely a fun episode overall. I'm enjoying this show a lot. I love watching it every week. And definitely this is not something just for kids. This is an all-ages show. Because you can definitely get something out of this. Because at the end of the day, this is superheroes doing superhero things. And you're seeing the origin story, the year one, of one of the biggest names in Marvel Comics right now. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. And hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Miss Marvel? And especially episode three titled Destin. Definitely want to have that conversation. You know the social media deal is in place right now. So spoiler free talk on the socials until Friday. And then let's go deep diving. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ooh, I've been dying to try this place. Oh my God, me too. I've heard such good things about it. Welcome to the Crime Diner. I'm Cindy. I'll be cooking for you this evening. 
Here are your menus. Oh, what are you thinking about getting? I don't know, murder with a side of cannibalism? What about you? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm torn between historical mayhem and the social injustice, maybe? Oh. I just want to let you know that each episode comes with dinner, dessert, and a specialty drink chosen by yours truly. Wine Dine and Storytime has had a makeover, and we invite you to slide into the booth with us at the Crime Diner, where each week we will discuss a crime over dinner, drinks, and dessert. See you there! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and let's talk some Superman and Lois. Season 2 of the CW's best show by far. Bar none. Has been really ramping up things as of late. Holy shit. For where we started with the season where we thought we were getting Doomsday, but we got Bizarro and a whole different world that we were Mm -hmm. not expecting, this show has really been hitting on most of its cylinders for the season. There's been a couple dud episodes. We can't can't lie about it. Can't keep it very honest here. But for what Tyler Hoechlin and Elizabeth Tolick have been doing with us as the title characters has really reminded people why Superman is Superman, mm-hmm. and arguably one of the greatest superheroes of all time. Yeah, and taking a character that's been around, obviously, since the golden age of comics, you know, and then been in media in various forms since, you know, the, the Max Flesher cartoons, you know, the the old school live action t- uh, television show, you know, from the Christopher Reeve movies to the 90s television show, you know, the adventures of Lois and Clark, you know, to the animated series with, with Superman and then Justice League. You know, to Smallville and, and obviously, you know, the Brandon Ralph film and then the uh, the uh, Man of Steel movies and, mm-hmm. the, and the Zack Snyder movies. Putting a fresh spin on things for a character who's been around a while, which is pleasant to see. Yeah, absolutely. And the show has been really clicking as of late. Going into the home stretch, because it's hard to believe, but it's CW scheduling, in my opinion. Yeah. We're at the season finale. I know. And it's already been greenlit for season three, so there's no worries about that. But now where the show is going... It's really going to get interesting next week. Mm-hmm. So, Pat, let's talk spoiler-free about World's War, War Bazaar. Mm-hmm. Uh, best episode of the season thus far. Holy fucking shit. Uh, loved everything about this uh, from start to finish. Cannot wait to see where next week's episode goes because they didn't leave it on a cliffhanger, but it feels like they did. Absolutely. Things got really weird in a hurry. I do agree with you. I think this might have been the best episode of the season. Uh-huh. Because they really were showcasing some characters. Natalie Irons. It might be one of the best characters on this show. She might be giving Jordan Elsass's Jonathan a run for the money. Definitely episode MVP. Absolutely. Taylor Buck has really stepped it up as Natalie Irons, and they've finally given her some screen time, and she is running with it. I love seeing it. The show is definitely hitting some marks. And where we're going into that season finale is anybody's guess. But that being said, it's countdown time. You know the deal by now. In three, two, one. Pad, talk to me. Uh, like I said, absolutely their best episode of the season thus far. Was not a point in this where, because there have been some of the side stories. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Was not the case this episode. Start to finish, action-packed, and left the best action for like the last 12, 15 minutes, whatever it was, and I loved every minute of it. This show really decided to give the younger heroes some time. Natalie Irons as Steel 2.0, if you want to call her that. Sure. We don't have official name. Really had a moment to shine here. 
And I know I complain a lot on this show because of how forced it feels, but the Sarah and uh, Jordan storyline, I thought they did very well. Alex Garrifin really had a moment to shine here Mm -hmm. as being the Superboy incumbent and really had a chance to showcase some powers. And like you touched upon, their fight scene that they had really was fantastic. Kudos to the fight choreographers on the show. They really brought it for that scene. Because where we jump in, Allie, the cult leader who has been trying to merge Bizarro World with our world, because why, Pad? Reasons. Is now on the cusp of fulfilling that weird prophecy. Mm -hmm. And now... The skies are turning red. Which I thought would kind of put a hamper on, you know, uh, Jordan's powers. Appears to not be the case. Yeah, which I don't know yet. I think that might be, uh, using the Marvel term, a no prize. Mm. I just think that that's something they might have overlooked for right now. Could be. But I think that they had to make sure there was one superpowered Kent on the show because as of last episode, Superman's cells have deactivated Mm -hmm. and he's no longer superman he's just clark clark so he is human and he has he's been taken off the board of stopping alley so now you have everybody else trying to figure out okay how do we get superman back and what's plan b so this is when you see wally parks return as john henry irons and he takes superman to the fortress of solitude that was tal rose so the fortress of solitude 2.0 yes and there Clark's mom says well you're human your powers will come back but it'll just take a while you know they're damaged it's kind of like when you first showed up on earth and John goes well how long will that take and Clark looks at him and goes well when I was a kid I didn't get my powers till I was four and they're both looking at each other and they both know we don't have four years no they have to move quickly so at this point John takes it upon himself to go take out Allie who's They've now determined that she is living in the void mm-hmm. in the mountain where all the ex kryptonite was. And well, that's where they're detecting the power, yeah. the power source, but they can't figure it out because the DOD and their infinite uh, ability to scan things because, hey, it's the government. They can scan a lot of stuff. They, they're like, all right, hey, there's a, there's a power source there, but like we can't pin down where it is. And they determined she's there, but she's kind of not there because she's in between universes. Yes. So John makes the call to go stop her because Clark can't. And this is where he has a very great scene with Natalie. And Natalie is saying, listen, I'm coming with you. And he says no. And he deactivates her suit for 10 minutes, which I Mm -hmm. thought was a brilliant parent move. Oh, yeah. Because obviously he doesn't want his daughter getting hurt, even though she seems more capable to handle anybody on this show. I'll say even though her suit is stronger than his is. Yeah, it's, it's a wild scenario. But listen, I'm all here for it. And John goes flying in to take out Allie. Yep. He does land the proverbial uh, shot. Looks like he shoots a nuke at her or something. He shoots, like, the hardest weapon he's got. Yeah. Like, whatever kind of missile it was in, in a suit. Because so it's, it's the one that the button's labeled last resort. Yes. And he nails a direct shot, but it doesn't take her out. Yeah, because uh, we forgot she absorbs energy and power. Yep. So, basically, the connect blast is shot back at him. He's knocked unconscious, and he's now flying in. He's tumbling through the void. Yeah, dead space. So he is taken out. Natalie is having a breakdown from this because obviously she thinks she lost her dad again. Yeah, she'll say she's having flashbacks. So she winds up going to the Kents. Mm-hmm. And during this time, too, Lois is talking basically with Clark and saying, okay, listen, what are we going to do here? And yeah. he's he says, listen, 
I'm still going to be Superman. I just have to figure out a different way. Yeah, I got to figure out how. And this comes to light because with Lana, now the mayor of Smallville. Who's in way over her head. Right, but in situations like this, I can't really blame her because... No, no. You think about Smallville, Kansas, and you don't mm-hmm. exactly have the world-ending battles happening on the front no. on the front lines there. No. Like, it just it doesn't happen here. No. But Emmanuel Kirky has definitely been crushing it as Lana and definitely has the moment where she is addressing the, t- the town, and she's being very honest with him because now that she knows, well, Superman is Clark. Mm-hmm. He's doesn't have any powers. The, yeah. the sky's falling. Listen, I'm just going to be honest. Tell everybody. Well, yeah, because at first Sam, uh, General Lane, doesn't want uh, Lois to tell what's going on. Well, listen, DOD is going to come up with a story of this, blah, blah, blah. Don't worry about it. And that's when the family decide, minus General Lane goes, we, we've tried this before. It doesn't work. We have to tell her. Yeah. So she tells her. She then decides, all right, hey, I can't keep this to myself. I'm going to tell the town. And like you said, she goes and has a town hall meeting because she goes into a uh, diner to meet her husband and drop the kids off. And everyone starts accosting her like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? And she's honest with him at this point. She has no idea. I don't know. I'm going to go into a meeting. I'm going to find out. Yeah. She finds out, goes to have the town hall and everyone, she starts telling him, like you said, hey, here's what I know. The sky is falling. There's another earth that's just like ours. They're merging in. But, and it sounds like something out of an Orson Welles Absolutely. novel. Absolutely. Love, love the comparison. It's, it sounds like something out of an Orson Welles novel, and they're just like, yeah. And everyone starts laughing, and, and she's losing the room, and her husband tries piping up. Like, hey, listen. Hey, we got to we gotta listen to what she says and then take this seriously. And they're like, why? Well, take it seriously like we, sh- like we should have before? Yeah, it's a situation where the former mayor that Lana defeated – is now causing trouble because he wants fucking prick. Yeah, he's he's the worst on this show. But you do see that Superman does come walking in the building and say, "Listen, Lana's telling you the truth." I'll say kudos to the writing team. They, they, at some point, when somebody in the audience goes, "We need to hear from somebody we trust," oh, funny you should say that. Yeah, perfect timing. And and Tyler Oakland gives one of those epic Superman speeches, the ones that put calm in everybody. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's another kudos to the writing because they really capture the voice of Superman. Yeah. And truth, justice, and a better tomorrow comes shining through in these moments. So while this is happening, well, Allie is making her play because she sends her two soldiers mm-hmm. to go get the Kents. Evil Lana and evil uh, Jonathan. Yep. And you do see that they go busting into the high school. Because mm-hmm. at first, Lana takes out... Uh, Jordan on the farm. Well, yeah, she takes out Jordan on the farm. They show up to the school and they go, oh, you know, I can feel their presence here. And she, uh, they go into the school and you have evil Lois confront real Lois, who's meeting up with her daughter, Sarah, who's having a heart to heart with uh, Jordan, who's ready to tell her everything. He tells her a little bit. You're like, oh, hey, yeah, I know. I know what's been going on. You know, my mom's been working on a report. And she goes, oh, is this why you've been so secretive? He's like, oh, well, yeah, partially. Oh, why couldn't you tell me? Because it's not mine to tell, blah, blah, blah. Evil Lois shows up, and this was probably the best moment of the entire episode, because Evil Lois shows up. Sarah goes, "Oh no!" And, and without turning a uh, turning around to look at her, Jordan just looks at the Evil Lois and says, "Run!" And Sarah goes, "What? Why? What are you gonna do?" And Jordan turns around slowly, looks at her, and just yells, "Run!" As his eyes turn red, yeah, with, with heat vision activating. Yeah, so he so got... uh, cat's out of the bag. Yeah, so he's now exposed himself because he has to go fight Lana. And then they start going types of all types of crazy. Meanwhile, awesome sequence. Yeah, evil evil Jonathan goes running into the auditorium, and he's now fighting 
a depowered Clark Act, and acting like he's the, acting like he's out of a 2005 pop punk band. Dude, I'm telling you, they need to bring this character onto the comics because this is Superboy Prime meets the original Connor. Well, Kent. I know they do have the Earth Prime series going, which is tied into the Arrowverse. You never know. It'd be smart to do. It'd be real smart to do because I think they need more of him on there. Jordan Elsass, who plays Jonathan, is absolutely killing it on this role. And you do see the battle going on, and then the brothers are fighting. Yeah. And this is the the coolest sequence going on because you see Jordan's heat vision meets up with Jonathan's ice mm-hmm. vision because the bizarre world, everything's backwards. Yep. You're seeing them fight. And then even when Lana is trying to jump in there to help, Natalie comes in making the save because once her suit is now activated, mm-hmm. she comes in there, and they have arguably the best hammer sequence Ooh. this side of Thor. Uh-huh, because Natalie gets tipped off. Because she's trying to locate her father. She's all nervous about it. But then the AI or whatever it is notifies her, hey, like, I've lost connection with your dad, but I am detecting a superpowered presence in the area. She goes off to save, knocks down uh, Evil Lois, and then tosses the, uh, the, or no, is it Jonathan? Is it Jonathan she knocks out first? I think it's Jonathan she knocks out. Yeah, she knocks out Jonathan first. Knocks out Jonathan first, tosses the hammer at Lois, Evil Lois, who kind of just does a little head tilt out of the way. But then Jordan catches it and then swings it down and knocks her out. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, it was awesome. Badass scene. Badass scene going on there. So now they've taken them off the board, but it now goes into a situation where mm-hmm. they know they've lost because now everything is starting to turn because once they leave the high school and go home, yeah, the Kent's house now switches to the Bizarro world. Well, and everything else is starting to switch too. I mean, you see... The Smallville Gazette things start changing. Like the computers even change to like a like a mid nineties Mac looking yeah. looking thing. You know, I noticed the at the uh, Lana's house, the coffee mug that was in the garage switched for it switched logos. I couldn't tell what it still said Smallville, but the, the team mascot switched. It went to the stars, I think or something. But then it also switched from a round coffee mug to a square coffee mug. Mm-hmm. And then, as you mentioned, the uh, Kent farm uh, went all sorts of to shit. Yep, and you see that some townsfolks are disappearing too. Yeah, it's a weird scenario, kind of an imitation to the blip, if you will, but not copying the Thanos snap. I was like, like oh, by the way, we should mention uh, Lana's husband's gone missing. Yeah, he's because one of the people that disappeared. One of the people that disappears because Lana shows up at the house with Sarah, goes into the kitchen to talk her. While she's going into the kitchen, she passes her husband, who's taking the younger daughter out to the car. Shit starts going weird at the house. There, they go back into the garage. The younger sister is there, and they ask the younger sister, hey, where's your dad? And the younger sister just goes, I don't know. Yeah. It's a crazy scenario, but that's how it ends. So now the tension is built going into that finale. Mm -hmm. All bets are off. You got John Henry Irons now floating in space, unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Superman's depowered. The only person that can really do anything is Natalie Irons. Because Jordan can't, because he has a meltdown every five minutes. Because <laughs> he's just too wild. He's like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do handle this. it. I yeah. can't handle it. He's got to get some confidence in his skills there. And now we go into that finale. So, Pat, I mean, final thoughts on the episode going in. thought it was an absolutely fantastic episode. Can't wait to see what they're going to do with the next episode. Because while I don't know any spoilers and I don't know what's going to happen, get the feeling they're going to leave us with a big old cliffhanger for season three. I think they're going to as well. I'm not sure what, though. Because I think maybe Bizarro gets resurrected maybe. somehow. Maybe. But they have to find a way to stop Allie, who at this point is too powerful. Maybe they'll get Batman to show up. <laughs> he has prep time. I mean, at least DC's keeping the trend going, like with Marvel, where there's like world cataclysmic events going on, and the, the major powers that be are like, 
no showing and like sitting with their feet up on the table. Cause like you figure something like this, you'd have, you know, Supergirl would show up and flash would show up and like black lightning would show up like the justice league in this universe would show up, but like, nah, they're nowhere to be seen. No, like the, like the world two two worlds are, are converging. And I would presume the universes as well. So, you know, weird sciencey stuff, but yeah, no, much like the MCU, uh, nowhere to be found. That's why they just need Doom Patrol. They solve everything. <laughs> I love Doom Patrol. Need I need more of that in my life. But yeah, I'll be interested to see how they wrap this up. So I'm not doubting that we get some kind of wild, crazy finale coming from this uh, writing squad. I'm going to go out on a limb. Obviously, we know how it goes in the comics, so no real spoilers. Superman dies. I think he'll get... Because you remember back in the episode... The mother was explaining, like, because he asked, is there a way to do it faster? And she went to explain it, but then technology and everything started merging together. It got garbled. And she she said, there is a way, but, and then it kind of trailed off. I think they're going to figure out what this way is, but it's going to be too powerful and too quick of a thing that it's going to absolutely fry his proverbial systems, and it's going to kill him. Temporarily, obviously. I mean, that could happen. Obviously. That could that could happen. If we have the reign of Superman on the show, <laughs> that could be fun. That I'll could be it. real fun. You're, you're kind of set up for it. You have Steel. You have Superboy, essentially, with, with Jordan. Yeah, but then you have to get the Eradicator. and then. Yeah. But, I mean, they already did that last season. There's some possibilities, but I do trust Eradicator what... could come back. I do trust what this show does, so I'm not going to say it's out of the realm of thought, but I like where you're going with that, Pat. Either way, we'll be locked and loaded next Tuesday night watching that, and maybe we'll have to do some live tweeting. I don't know. In the meantime, though, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What did you think about the latest Superman and Lois episode, World's War Bazaar? Let's try saying that three times fast. There's a lot going on with this show. DC is definitely clicking on all cylinders here, so definitely go check that episode out and let's have a conversation about that, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Chris. And Lance. Asking you to check out our new podcast, Comic Book Keepers. Join us as we delve deep into comic lore to uncover the history behind a wide variety of comic book characters. Each episode will feature one hero, villain, team, or ensemble, and break down what makes these heroes super. We'll give you recommendations on what storylines to read. Explain how characters were created. Discuss adaptations, costumes, and answer comic fandom's what-if questions. Yeah, and spoiler alert, these conversations can get pretty nerdy. This is comic book keepers coming back for the final segment on this edition of the odph podcast pad what you got for one shots got a couple things to talk about obviously the first of which is dropping today is we record on netflix is season three of the umbrella academy yes cannot wait haven't started watching it yet myself been a little busy today uh but i'll get started on it very soon obviously this is the ongoing saga of the comic written by uh, gerard way uh season two phenomenal stuff if you, it's been a while since you've watched it uh, and you need a little refresh i know on their social media stuff uh the netflix folks put out a little recap of what happened in season two and i'm sure uh, uh, right before episode one you will get that same recap for this so it'll be a good catch up cannot wait to start uh, watching the show when i get home yeah i'm super excited to check this out i mean the comic by gerard way has been very interesting mm-hmm. i liked the first volume the second one not as much but i did like it yeah uh, I know I'm in a very small group uh, if you talk to a lot of our content creating friends. But I will say this. The Netflix show has definitely done the right things. They've definitely captured the vibe of the Umbrella Academy comic and multiplied it into a way that's very accessible for pop culture fans. Yeah. It flew under a lot of radars. And this current incarnation that we're going to see on the screen, 
I am super excited to see where they go following the comics. Mm-hmm. Now, the other one I feel we got to mention is one that's been coming out the last couple of weeks. We are uh, a little over halfway through uh, this current season, but that is season three of The Boys. How good has this been? This has been phenomenal. Oh, my God. And I feel bad because I can't really talk too much about shows because we did get early screener access for it. Mm-hmm. And I and uh, I did the spoiler-free blog about that, so if you want to know my like real intentions of the season, I did cover a lot there, but mm-hmm. I can talk about episode per episode per episode. Yeah. Now, and going into this week... Which is titled Herogasm. If you know the comic story mm-hmm. from Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson, uh, listen... You know that if we say that that is arguably the most infamous story from all the comics, that mm-hmm. is saying a lot. Yeah. Social media will be buzzing about this when it drops. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so. Like, the buzz is already there. Yeah. But expect Friday. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to make a lot of noise. Oh, I'm sure. But this entire season, I mean, we can talk about everything that's happened up to now. And just uh, in a short yeah. synopsis. Yeah, I mean, thus far, my overall feeling is I didn't think Homelander, played by the great Anthony Starr, could get any more fucking insane, but God damn it, he is. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Give him all the Emmys. Holy shit. Give, if he doesn't get nominated and win an Emmy, there is something seriously wrong because his portrayal thus far in the shows has been epic. He's a, he's a, He's got me convinced that he's playing a megalomaniac and a psychopath. Yes. That, like, this man has no limits to, to what he will go to to achieve his own means. I mean, from the whole scene where he and Starlight are now, quote-unquote, dating, and they go out oh, on a light. They go on a date together. Oh, why don't we do the romantic thing and fly home, and I'm going to fly you up to a rooftop and show you the exploded corpse of one of your friends. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, he is definitely clicking on all cylinders, because obviously we knew from the end of last season that he was disgraced. Mm-hmm. And seeing how he has been portrayed thus far in the series, he has mastered the broken mm-hmm. desperation of fame to the T. Uh-huh. And being somebody with that much power, with no responsibility unto himself, and seeing how his story has transpired has been nothing short of awesome. It's it's been incredible. I can't I can't wait to see the rest of the season. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah, and then let's talk about the latest edition of the show too. Jensen Eccles? Oh, yeah, Jensen Eccles. Holy shit. To talk about a, a switch from what we know you from with Supernatural to what you're doing now, goddamn, amazing work. Yeah, phenomenal. Like, just his portrayal thus far that you've seen yeah. has been absolutely amazing, too. There's a lot of win with this show thus far that you've seen, and I cannot wait to see everybody's reactions to Friday's episode because mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you right now, that will be the uh, proverbial water cooler buzz uh-huh. on Monday. Oh, well, I'm sure. If not late Friday. I'm sure. Uh, switching over to some news I did not see coming at all, but it makes sense. Uh, we're going to be getting a new book from the great, the late, the great J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh. Which is surprising. The man has been dead for like 48, going on 49 years, and he's still putting books out. Uh, so this reading from an article on IGN.com, the headline reads, New Tolkien book, The Fall of Numenor, collects all the stories that influenced the Rings of Power TV show. Uh, The article goes on to say, quote, a new book of J.R.R. Tolkien's writing is soon to be published, according to the Tolkien Society. The Fall of Numenor will collect all of Tolkien's writings on the Second Age, the stories that the upcoming TV show, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, is based on. Uh, It's currently available to order on uh, Amazon right now. 
The, books, uh, the book brings many of Tolkien's writings together and uses the tale of years in the appendices of The Lord of the Rings in order to present the content in an order and a style that works well for readers, the Tolkien Society explained. The Lord of the Rings appendices provides much of the inspiration for the upcoming show, so you can see why this volume might be of particular interest right now. The Fall of Numenor tells the story of the foundations of Numenor, the kingdom of men, established on an island that was risen from the sea by the Valar in the Second Age of Middle-earth. Uh, for those who don't know, Valar is like the godly figures in the Middle-earth and Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. uh, it also tells of the forging of the Rings of Power as well as the last alliance against Sauron that ended the Second Age. Edited by Tolkien scholar Brian Sibley, the book provides new commentary while bringing all of Tolkien's works on the Second Age together in one handy edition. It certainly sounds like an excellent companion for those looking forward to the TV show and will release on November 10th, just a few weeks after the show will conclude. Uh, so definitely surprised by this because I figured the last of Tolkien's works had been put out and, and that was kind of the end of it. You know, but the fact we're getting more Tolkien, hey, I'm here for it. I'm actually really surprised, but then again, with the new show coming out, I think there's going to be a lot more of a material mm -hmm. coming out. Like, yeah. And how much is connected to him? I mean, it's just crazy to think that this is still yeah. him after how many years he's been gone? 40, 48 going on 49 Jeez. in later this year. Like, it's, 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 it's absolutely crazy to think about that this has been going on as long as it has. But with the new show coming out, like you know there's going to be a lot of hype. Yep. Uh, also, regarding the new show, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings <sighs> of Power, uh, IGN did get an exclusive first look at some of the orcs we will be seeing in the show, and I got just one word for it. Goddamn. Uh, showing Ken some of the images here. That's insane. Uh, to borrow a loosely a quote from the Lord of the Rings movie, looks like prosthetics are back in the menu, boys. Uh, no CGI here. Holy shit. Yeah, the, the images we're seeing right now from IGN – this looks awesome. It is terrifying. It's absolutely like crazy of how good this looks. Uh huh. Switching over to some video game news, there was a live stream last week uh, from the folks over at Square Enix, and it, it was in regards to the Final Fantasy VII uh, anniversary because it's been, I believe, uh, 25 years now since uh, the original Final Fantasy VII game came out uh, and figured there'd be some announcements with this, and sure enough, there were. Mm -hmm. uh, we did get a release date and a first look at the upcoming part of the Final Fantasy VII remake, which is titled uh, Rebirth. Uh, looks real good, obviously, given how the last one ended and it kind of upended the entire story. Anything's on the board for this franchise. Uh, spoiler alert, character that was thought dead uh, because, hey, he's dead in the original game isn't dead in this instance. So when you've got Aerith at the start of the trailer saying you don't know what's going to come down the road, anything's possible. Yeah, uh, because, again, I'd say spoiler alert, but it's 25 years at this point. She technically dies at the end of Final Fantasy VII, which is one of the most gut-wrenching deaths in video game history. Will we see it in this? Maybe. I don't know. At this point, you have to take all options on, on the table. Yeah, this absolutely is crazy to think about what they're doing with this franchise. Yeah, uh, we got a release window, per se. We didn't get a release date. Uh, all they said was available next winter. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Uh, and then we also got a trailer for something I did not see coming. Uh, and this is a trailer for uh, Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion. Uh, and this is a remake of the PSP Classic, because if you haven't played it, it's an absolute gem of a game. Uh, that came out in the PlayStation Portable way back, and I want to say it was 2008, 2009 maybe? Somewhere in there. Yeah, somewhere in that somewhere, somewhere in there. I, I had it and played it on the PlayStation Portable. Didn't beat it because of the final boss. It was a prequel to the original Final Fantasy VII, so it kind of ended right where the Final Fantasy VII begins. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the final boss in the game was Sephiroth. I got to the final boss, and Sephiroth handed my ass to me every single time, and I could never beat it. Uh, but this 
this is a remake uh, that is coming out on uh, coming soon to PC and consoles. Didn't give a release date or what consoles, but super excited for this because it's one. It's a great game. It wasn't terribly long for because it was PlayStation Portable. You couldn't really put a lot on there. Sure. Back in those days, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with this. And it's one of the games that it's never been like, I know you've been able to, I think, play it on PlayStation 3 when they had that whole thing going. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can play it on the PlayStation 4 or 5 now. I'd have to go check. Um, But it's never been re-released. You've never been able to, like, get it outside of the PlayStation Portable. So to finally see it, you know, redone and put out for new consoles is exciting to see. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy to think that what they're doing and bringing it back and, like, you touched upon it. It's never been done before. Yeah. And now it's coming back. I mean, the timetable is a little crazy, but... Still, mm-hmm. seeing the trailers coming out for yeah. it definitely got the fan base hyped about it. Oh, that. yeah. Uh, switching over to some Star Wars news because, hey, there was more than just Obi-Wan Kenobi going on this week. What? There was a uh, prop store auction that took place on Monday, and there was a certain model from Star Wars that fetched a little bit of money, money when it all was said and done. Uh, so according to an article from IGN.com, uh, the article reads, Continu- quote, continuing the recent trend of props auctioning at huge prices, a model X-Wing used in Star Wars, A New Hope, sold at auction for $2.3 million. Ooh. The model, which was seen on screen in the very first Star Wars movie, was up for sale in a prop store auction on Monday with an estimate between $500,000 and $1 million. The screen-matched Red Leader X-Wing miniature was originally created by Industrial Light and Magic, especially for the movie, and fetched a staggering $2,375,000, according to the auction house. This particular X-Wing was flown by Red Leader uh, Garvin Drees, played by Drew Henley, in the movie, and featured heavily in the film's final battle sequence when the Rebels attacked the Death Star. Uh, but while screen use props aren't exactly rare, this one is. Most of the X-Wings from A New Hope were destroyed using pyrotechnics while filming that climactic battle. This particular X-Wing is only one of a handful left. Uh, the X-Wing fighter model represented here was originally built as the Rebel Leader Red One Pyro model, explains the item listing. Uh, Red Leader's pyro shot in the film features an explosion on the back of an engine, but the ship itself remained completely intact. Red Leader then meets his end by crashing into the Death Star surface in a shot that was an explosion only, but no ship model. The shot of Red Leader's engine explosion is documented extensively in behind-the-scenes footage, showing that the original model remained intact. The origins of the model were then confirmed using extensive screen matching. In comparing the Pyro Red Leader model to the Hero Red Leader model, several specific details made it clear that it is the Red Leader Pyro model on screen. Two production photos showing different sides of the Pyro Red Leader model show exact matches to numerous details with this specific X-Wing model, confirming it as the original Red Leader Pyro model. So this is one that was on screen, obviously, if you've seen the movie, like they said, exploded but they didn't necessarily need it for the movie and and they never destroyed it so hey uh to to whoever purchased this congratulations on getting a very rare piece of film history i wish i had it yeah so do i i'm i'm not not gonna lie low-key jealous right now Uh low-key jealous and then lastly and certainly not loosely we got some radiant black news oh talk to me yeah so uh will friedel voices image comics superhero in an animated short versus uh, so reading from an article on IGN.com, it says, quote, fans of Image Comics series Radiant Black were given a very special treat in issue number 15 of the Explosive Superhero series. A hidden QR code leads readers to the ultimate Easter egg, a fully animated short film called Versus. 
directed by Radiant Black writer and co-creator Kyle Higgins, animated by Tiger Animation, and featuring Batman Beyond's Will Friedel as the voice of Radiant Black himself, the new short gives us a taste of what the comic could look like as an animated series. If you haven't already picked up a copy of Radiant Black number 15, you can check out the video below. They include a link to the video. Uh, so it's super awesome, and I'm going to have to definitely give this a check out when I get home. Yeah, no, it's definitely a cool thing. Like, they did the QR code in, yeah. the, la- in the last issue. And, and you know, if you listen to the ODPH, we are very big fans of Radiant Black and the Massive Universe. Yeah. So this would be cool. I would love to see them land on Amazon Prime. I would, too. Like, I think that, that would be the perfect landing spot for them. Go Radiant Black and give us all the franchise. Absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, but this is so cool to see. And they're just doing so much innovative stuff over there, too. Oh, like, yeah. Like, I just want to, like... If you're looking for a franchise to get involved with, the Massive Verse is one you really want to jump on now. Because mm-hmm. some of the stuff they've announced coming later this year is yeah. going to be some very, very cool books. And if I'm reading into quotes a little too much, maybe I am, but I'm just reading a quote from Will Friedel uh, when IGN asked him about working on this project. He said, quote, There is something so wonderful about being involved with an all-inclusive world. From the books to the short, every step is a complete fan experience that should reshape the comic book landscape. Truly an honor. Close quote. Sounds like if it were up to up to him, he'd be down to do it some more. I think so too. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I don't know if there's any kind of plans in the work. I have not heard anything as of yet. Neither have I. But all I know is if it's anything like the books coming out from the uh, house over there, you definitely want to stay tuned for that because yeah. they put on some quality quality work. All right. So for my one shots, uh, there's one big story to break that caught my attention. And if you're a Valiant comic reader, this is something that definitely you want to keep your eyes on. So this is according to an article from Deadline. Oh, okay. Paul Downs Colasio is in talks to replace Wes Ball as director on Paramount's adaptation of Harbinger. So the Harbinger film has been long talked about. Uh, It's Valiant's... The incarnation that I believe is coming to the screen is going to be the teen story that happened from when they first incarnated in the 90s from Valiant. Uh, which is a great read, too, by the way. I'm a personal fan of the most recent incarnation yeah. uh, with Peter Stanchik uh, doing the solo route. And maybe with how that series ended, they might adapt that team to there. I mean, that's just me kind of spitballing a little bit. Mm. But if you haven't checked out the book by uh, Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, and the art of Robbie Rodriguez, you need to go check it out. I, I can translate that book for you all day, every day. I love that book. But going back to the article, like I say, uh, according to Deadline, to quote, uh, Ball was forced to step down because he's uh, focused on the next Planet of the Apes pick. Well, uh, Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard some rumblings that we might be getting some casting announcements soon. Yep, so he's deep into that. And uh, Downs Colasio is best known for the uh, film... Uh, Brittany runs a marathon starring Jillian Bell, according oh. to the article. Oh, okay. So this is something I'm definitely excited to see about if this is going to happen. I know that the Valiant Universe always has some really great books on there. It's one of the features on Parley Points every time a book comes out. And to see Harbinger come out, I'm super excited. Like I said, I've been reading them since they were the first incarnation in the 90s. I'm really interested to see how they're going to do this this team in the present time in the films. And I'm going to tell you right now, if, you, if you've been sleeping on Valiant, they got so much cool stuff coming on. It's the year of Valiant for a reason. Uh-huh. So you need to go follow them. They do a lot of great work. In fact, let's kick off Parlay Points uh, comic book recommendations talking about Armor Clads number four. Now, this book has been a sci-fi epic that is talk is in the Valiant universe, but it's like on a different side of the galaxy. It's definitely been an interesting story about how 
these miners that have been basically forced to work for the Alfian military have now kind of rised up against them and they're kind of having a battle and just kind of seeing how these groups of underdogs are now fighting against this well-orchestrated military front and all the invaders that are coming by this earth. Like, it's a planet. It's a wild story going on, but is one that I think is very well done. It's just been announced that this first chapter, and that's how I word it is. Mm-hmm. It's only going to go five issues. This is issue number four. Gotcha. I have a feeling, though, with how the story is set up, we're going to come back to it later. So this first chapter is going to be winding up, but Armorclads has been a very cool book to check out. If you're into something a little sci-fi, a little something different than you see at the shelves, definitely has some really cool action sequences too. So if you're looking for that, go check that out. Um, just hit the shelves by Valiant this week. Uh, going over to Comixology Originals. You know I love this line. Yes, you do. And I speak the praises of this. If you are going to sign up for Comixology, go get the Unlimited plan because you get a lot of great books like this. And most of them, from my knowledge, are coming to print. This is a series that is coming via Dark Horse Comics later. This uh, The first uh, story arc is now out in trade paperback yeah. via Dark Horse. But right now, the All-Nighter number 7, Chip Zdarsky, Jason Liu, are putting together some of the coolest sequences in comics right now with this book. It is something that definitely hooked me from the original issue to now. They're definitely picking up on the second arc, which just came out, and how this is really talking at the heartstrings a little bit because you're seeing how this really unique group is now evolving to mm-hmm. the situation they're in. I don't even do spoilers because I think it's that good. So go check it out. And if you want the print version, like I said, Dark Horse Comics has a trade paperback out. But if you're on Comicsology Originals, go check it out. It's well worth the read. And if you can't wait, like I say, this is a franchise that's going to have a big, big future coming down the road. So keep an eye out for that. Also, the last parlay point one that we have on the blog section, just to kind of hype up just a little bit, coming from Boom Studios, the adventures of Erica Slaughter continue again in S-I-K-T-C, otherwise known as Something is Killing the Children, number 24. So Erica Slaughter's return to the monster hunting business has been been really building up for an epic finale of this first arc. There's a lot of moving pieces going on with her and what she's investigating. The story is very, very intense. I love it. I think everything they do with this book has been on point. Mm-hmm. I can't speak highly enough about what James Tynan and Werther Delorita is making happen in this in these pages. So you definitely want to go follow that. And if you're not reading House of Slaughter 2, the spinoff book, it is definitely one you want to keep an eye out to as well. Also, Marvel Comics. Pat, have you checked out the new Amazing Spider-Man? No, not yet. I need to, though. Heard nothing but great things about this book. So uh, issue number four is out. Uh, so you definitely want to go check that out this week. DC Comics, though, I know we always talk about Nightwing, and that might be the best comic out on the shelves right now. It's getting a run for the money from Batman, Superman, World's Finest. Mm. Mark Wade, Dan Mora, that's all I pretty much need to say. Yeah. But if you have not checked this book out, you definitely want to go check this out. It has been a very, very cool book to take a gander at on the shelves, if you will. And we'll close it out talking a little Massive Verse to kind of put a bookend on it. Out this week is Radiant Red number four of five. Mm. So it's a background uh, origin story of one of the Massive Versus interesting characters that you've seen in Radiant Black. And Rogue Son, number five. Ryan Parrott, Abel. I will tell you this. If you haven't checked this book out, you want to get familiar with it. They're doing a lot of cool things, especially coming off issue number four. So that is out at the shelves this week. So definitely hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what you're checking out of the shops this week. And always support your local comic shops. 
If you have the opportunity, definitely get over there. Give them some business. If you need recommendations, hit them up and let them know. They will give you so much and then some. And definitely go support your favorite comic independent podcast. Pad, we'll just keep it short and sweet because I know we're kind of going a little overtime this week. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, whether it's blogs, whether it's social media, whether it's a T-Public store, which is having a sale this week, all of that, the classified section and the directory and so much more can be found at odphpodcast.com. That's all for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.